You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. People are beginning to wake up to the downside of the tech world. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. We need to find ways to share this wealth so that people aren't suffering on the streets. You're giving your time to help others, and in the process, it helps you as well. The more people who see what happens over in the courthouse and know what's really going on, people would really be horrified. This is KCBS In-Depth. For nearly two months now, life here in the Bay Area has been kept to a near standstill. But this time is being used in important ways. Even as most residents shelter in place at home, armies of health workers and medical professionals are hard at work helping to prepare the region for the day when the lockdown is lifted. I'm Keith Benconi. This is KCBS In-Depth, and today in the program, we'll be discussing that work and why health officials say to reopen safely, a lot more of it still needs to be done. We're going to need to take it in a frustratingly slow but stepwise fashion. Then in the second half of the program, well, we've heard all about the need for more testing for this virus, but to really keep people safe, there's another step that has to happen too, and getting that done is going to take a lot of manpower. This 10,000 people that the governor talks about, that's the first batch. We take a close look at all that and more just ahead on KCBS In-Depth. First up, we're going to welcome back onto the program someone who's become one of the most prominent faces in the Bay Area's response to this pandemic. That would be Santa Clara County Health Officer Dr. Sarah Cody, who helped lead the decision to call the Bay Area's shelter-in-place order back in mid-March. Now, we're going to talk with her about how we might be able to wind down that order safely. Uh, Welcome back onto the program, Dr. Cody. Thank you. Good to be here. So this past week, California loosened its stay-at-home restrictions, uh, allowing curbside pickup at some non-essential businesses. Most Bay Area counties are holding off on taking that step, though. And of course, with the local orders being more strict than the state orders, those are what is going to take precedence. So among those that are holding off is Santa Clara County. Why is that, Dr. Cody? Our approach here is been to keep the health of our residents front and center uh, and do what we can to be most protective. Um, The good news is that all of the work that everyone in our county has done to stay at home has made a fantastic difference. Um, We, uh, you know, the positivity rate has uh, decreased. Our testing has increased. Um, Our hospitals are in great shape, and this is through collective sacrifice of everyone in our community um, coming together and staying at home, uh, as well as those in, you know, around the Bay Area. So um, I think that we have, you know, everyone in the community has done a fantastic job. I think the challenge now is um, everyone is pretty tired of sheltering in place. Uh, The weather is improving and it's a a a point where it's difficult uh, for everyone to maintain patience, yet that is exactly what we need. When it comes to the curbside pickup though, would what what is going to change in two weeks? Is it a matter of coming up with the procedures to make that safe, or are we really seeing uh, changes in the underlying uh, threat level before we allow that to happen? 
Well, what we're doing here in Santa Clara County is one, uh, we're waiting for the governor's order. So we've not had an opportunity to see the details of the order. Um, so that's step one. I don't want to, we cannot get ahead of ourselves here. So we need to really understand the governor's order. Then we need to compare it with our current order and make sure there may be some places, for example, where the governor's order is more restrictive than our local order. Um, and as you know, whichever order is most restrictive is the one uh, that prevails. So we need to we need to check our details. And as um, as you may remember, we uh, issued a I issued a new uh, order that went into effect just Monday. And the idea is that we have these five indicators that we're following to ensure that we can um, we make our decisions based on what we're seeing uh, in our community as far as trends and that we have the infrastructure um, in place to make sure that when we do begin easing back, we do so safely. So, for example, um, uh, we want to, we're doing extremely well as far as our case numbers and our hospital capacity. We have a little uh, work to do on ensuring that we have adequate supply of personal protective equipment. Um, we're starting to see some really encouraging signs as far as testing and the testing capacity. So we, we still have ways to go, but we it looks like things are beginning to, to go in the right direction. And of course, we are working um, as hard as we can and moving as fast as we can to ensure that we have a adequate infrastructure to do case investigation and contact tracing. So our vision is that as we, um, you know, we, we take all this progress we've made in, in dialing down the amount of um, virus circulating in our county, but before we let up, we have to be able to do everything we can to identify every new case and interrupt every chain of transmission that we can identify. And that will ensure that people are really safe. Yeah, well, obviously, a lot of that very encouraging to hear. But at the same time, as you suggest, still uh, a lot more work to be done. So uh, to give our listeners maybe a better sense of exactly what that work looks like, if you could, obviously, the hub of this activity for the county is the Emergency Operations Center. Lots of folks working in there every day trying to push these goals forward. Maybe tell us a little bit about what it's like in there and what this work looks like in a day-to-day basis. So we have for many, many, many weeks, actually um, since the end of January, had our emergency operations center stood up and it has grown with time and different parts of it have had to grow and expand as we have whole new you know, bodies of work that we need to do. So uh, just as an example, um, I don't even know how many people are in our operations center every day, which is, you know, spread out over over many buildings because we're needing to practice social distancing. Um, but for example, we have a whole group that's working on um, housing and other supports uh, for people. We have a huge group on case investigation and contact tracing. We have another huge group on special investigations uh, so that when we 
learn of an outbreak in a skilled nursing facility um, or a long-term care facility or other um, congregate setting with vulnerable individuals, that we have a team that can go uh, and help um, and, and control outbreaks when they occur. We have a whole other team um, helping to scale lab uh, testing and um, and a whole other team that's putting all of these various sorts of data together so that we can see them and look at them and uh, use our data for our decisions going forward. We, of course, we have our whole communications team um, to do everything that we can to let the public know uh, what we're doing and how we're making our decisions. Um, and many, many, many more groups that I that I that I'm probably probably missing. Um, and and all of all of this is to uh, get the best information that we can uh, in the moment to in- integrate it, think about our communities, and make the, the best decisions that we can uh, to protect people. Mm. If you're just joining us, this is KCBS in depth, and we're speaking with Santa Clara County Health Officer Dr. Sarah Cody. Now, so that is a lot of work that is going on. Obviously, a lot of people working very hard to push this forward as quickly as possible. I'm curious, what do you think this work will change about the situation when we reopen than what was the case in mid-March? Because I I think that it's probably too much at this point to count on uh, a vaccine coming out in the coming weeks or or even uh, an adequate treatment coming out in the coming weeks, although I'm sure folks are working hard on that as well. So if we don't have that kind of medical intervention as an option when these orders are lifted, what will the work that's going on right now, what will that really be able to change in terms of the safety for Bay Area citizens facing this pandemic? So that that is an excellent question. And and I, you know, I'm thinking back to the middle of March when we made the decision uh, to order everyone to shelter in place. And in many ways, uh, that decision was straightforward compared to the decisions that we are needing to make now and will be making you know over the months and months and months to come because you're absolutely right uh, there is not a vaccine uh, the vast majority of the population uh, is uh, susceptible and so if we uh, you know there's absolutely no way that we can go back to normal the way we were living uh, you know in 2019, because the virus will will spread like wildfire. We are still basically, you know, a tinderbox um, waiting, waiting to light. So that's why we are moving um, slowly, carefully, judiciously, gingerly. And that is the way we're going to have to keep moving for uh, a a good bit of time to come. Um, And I, you know, I, I, I understand the incredible um, sacrifice that everyone has made. This has created um, economic disruption and social disruption at a level that 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 I've certainly not seen in in my lifetime, and many of us of us have not. Um, however, if we're going to find our way out of this in a safe way between now and when there's a vaccine. Uh, and if we want to prevent having um, spikes and 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 enormous numbers of death, we're going to need to take it in a a frustratingly slow but stepwise fashion. Um, and and the vision is that we will 
be able to have really scaled up case and contact investigation and testing. So that means that where tests are the, you know, the, the vision of the future is that tests are easily available. Um, they're accessible. People who need them can access them and that we in public health can rapidly get the information about who's testing positive so that we can assist with ensuring that those who are positive and infectious are isolated away from others and not spreading the, inf the, the virus further. Um, and that people who are exposed um, also are able to safely quarantine away from others and not unknowingly spread during a period of time when they may become infectious and not have symptoms. Um, so that's a pretty, you know, uh, pretty big goal. Um, but if we can, if we can increase our infrastructure enough that we can like spot, you know, spot every little fire, um, and put it out, then we can begin to lift this very broad um, shelter-in-place mitigation plan that's been so so disruptive. And another thing that I that I want to say, sort of in this regard, is that because we don't have a, a vaccine, or because we don't have some way to prevent people from getting ill, if we don't do everything we can to to keep the level of, of virus circulating really, really low, that means that, that everyone's at risk. And so if, if you're an essential worker um, and you have to go out uh, and, and you know, work in a grocery store or work in a pharmacy or um, work in a um, uh, long-term care facility or wherever it is you work, um, I don't want those folks to be at risk and be exposed to COVID-19. Um, and the only way to prevent everyone from being exposed is to is to get the level of of, of transmission um, down everywhere in the community. So we know we have to you know keep keep our distance from each other. And six feet, by the way, is a minimum. It's not a magic number. You know, more distance is always better. We all have to wear face coverings when in public. Um, in case we might be a source for someone else. Uh, and we all have to wash our hands a lot. You know, we, we have to do that, but we also have to ensure that we keep the level of community transmission as low as possible, as low as possible, because there's no other way to protect people who are vulnerable or to protect people who by virtue of the work they do have to be exposed to other people um, a lot during the course of their workday. The last thing that I want to bring up is I can imagine a lot of our listeners at this point are feeling pretty frustrated with the lockdown, pretty ready for it to be over, perhaps even ready to give up on a lot of these very important social distancing measures that we should all be taking right now. But, you know, the, the, the resistance and those feelings, they're understandable at this point. We've been doing this for quite some time now. What do you say to those folks out there that are have that frustrated feeling and, and, and do feel like they're just about ready to give up? Well, the work that we're doing in public health, um, you know, here in our county and around the Bay Area is work that requires everyone to, to, um, everyone to work together. There's, there is no, there is no way, um, around it. But, but when, you know, I think that, um, 
one of the paradoxes of public health is that uh, it's sort of the paradox of prevention, that when you do a really good job preventing uh, bad things, what you will see is nothing. You will see none of those bad things. And so it's possible that in our community in particular, um, people haven't seen hospitals become overwhelmed. You know, they haven't seen refrigerator trucks uh, full of um, people who have who have died. Um, you know, that that is extraordinarily traumatic for a community to have that experience. We want to prevent our community from having that experience, um, uh, you know, and, and just because we've prevented it in March um, doesn't mean that we wouldn't, that we're not at risk of uh, facing it at some time in the future. So I feel that right now we have this um, incredible opportunity uh, now that we have brought, I think, the level of virus circulating to to relatively low levels. Of course, we need a bit more testing to assure ourselves that we really are there. Um, but we have this opportunity to trans uh, to transition uh, back to containment. Um, and I don't want to miss that opportunity. And I and I know it's so hard to be patient. Um, and but I think that we're going to make so much more progress uh, in the next few weeks. We also need to understand now that we've opened up outdoor businesses and opened construction back up, we need to make sure that that's not increased our risk, our risk. So, um, you know, I think that uh, when people are healthy, not in the hospital and not dying of COVID, ultimately, I think that that's going to be um, better, better for all of us. All right. Well, uh, we do hope that uh, all that work is carried out expediently, and uh, we thank you as well for your leadership. We have been speaking today with Santa Clara County Health Officer Dr. Sarah Cody. Dr. Cody, thank you once again for joining us. Thank you so much. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth, our weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. Today, as the region charts its course back to reopening, we speak with some of the people putting in the hard work to get us there safely. Up next on the program, we're going to focus in on just one aspect of the work that Dr. Cody laid out, contact tracing. That is, tracing the contacts of those who have tested positive for COVID-19 to find out who else may have been exposed. This is labor-intensive work, but health officials are hopeful they're going to find that labor. In fact, they're on a bit of a hiring spree right now. The goal? creating a veritable army of trained contact tracers. To learn more about it, we're going to speak now to one of the people leading that effort, Dr. George Rutherford. He's a professor of epidemiology at UC San Francisco. Dr. George Rutherford, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thanks very much, Keith. Pleasure to be here. So what we're talking about here, what you're heading up right there, is a joint effort between UCSF, UCLA, and the California Department of Public Health. The goal, it seems, is to train thousands of these contact tracers. So that's a pretty tall order. Seems like a very significant task in the next couple of weeks ahead. Uh, tell us a little bit about it and what it's going to take. Sure. So we've been uh, doing this with the San Francisco Department of Public Health for the last four weeks and have come up against uh, and basically have developed curricular materials, a training program, and have quite a bit of on-the-ground experience uh, leading contact tracing and also with the, with the city uh, case investigation uh, activities. So the Department of Public, California Department of Public Health um, decided when they were going to uh, push for contact tracing statewide, they came to us to help with the training because we had pre, pre-existing curricular materials. 
So we have a pretty tall task in front of us and we're glad to enlist the services of UCLA to help us, uh, which is to train 10,000 people in the, next, um, in the next three or four weeks. We started on Friday uh, and our first class of 500, as the governor has directed, these are made up of uh, people who are county, city, and state workers uh, who have not been able to work because their uh, job sites have been closed, and they can't, and they're not can't really telecommute. Uh, and we're uh, training them how to be contact tracers. So it's uh, it's an interesting mix. Um, in San Francisco, we've done this already with people from the city attorney's office, the assessor's office, <clears throat> and the city librarians. Uh, so it's a it's an interesting cross section of people, and they're very enthusiastic and very good at it. Interesting. So the focus seems to be on public servants and getting them retrained for this work. Let's take a step back, though. I do want to get into a little bit uh, in more detail what the training entails and what it takes to be a good contact tracer. Uh, But first, uh, just uh, to make sure, I I tried to define the term a second ago, but just to make sure that everybody's on the same page, lay out again for us what it is uh, that this contract tracing work entails. I mean, this is a a pretty old approach to public health, is it not? No, not. It depends if you think 1937 is old or not. All perspective. (laughs) It's all in perspective, right? Uh, This has been used primarily for sexually transmitted diseases. It was originally designed for syphilis control, um, but we use it for HIV, but we also use it for tuberculosis, measles, other things like that as well. So um, the idea is that what we're trying to do is identify people who are infected or who may become infected and who are uh, excreting virus, shedding virus, uh, and those who have been exposed and may turn and may become fully infected and start to excrete virus. So that's two groups, those who are infected and those who have been exposed. So when someone is reported with uh, COVID-19 infection from the labs or from their doctors or they self-report, someone from the city will call them and say, you know, we're sorry about your diagnosis. Do you need anything, you know, symptoms, you need to go to the hospital, that kind of stuff, kind of case management. And then they'll say, um, we need to talk to you about your people with whom you've been been in contact the last five days or whatever the period of time is. It's kind of defined by when their symptoms uh, began. Uh, and they'll say, I need to know people with whom you've come in contact and kind of for how long and what sorts of contact. So if we think that they're a close contact, that they've been in close enough contact to actually become infected, we'll say, okay, we think you need to go get a test. And so the test, they would go get a test. We would follow up with them, find out whether the test was positive or negative. If the test is positive, they're a case, and they have to go into isolation until they're uh, no longer infectious, no longer contagious, which is about eight days from the onset of symptoms. Now, clearly, you can't tell people, just go home and shut the door, and good luck, and I'll, we'll open it in 14 days and see what's going on. You have to be in daily contact with people. A lot of people need to have things arranged. Some of them can't shelter, can't stay at home. They don't have extra bedrooms. Um, they're living four people to a to a household. Uh, they might have to, um, you know, if it's a uh, if it's a the wage earner in a family, um, and that person goes into uh, goes into isolation. Somebody has to uh, make sure there's money for the family and that there's food, and as well as for the person who's in isolation, but also for the family. And the governor has brought in a wage support uh, program people have to go into isolation and contact, which uh, isolation and quarantine, which the city's also supplemented. So there's a fair amount of social service part 
on the back end for people who are actually have to go into isolation or, or, or quarantine. But the idea here is that instead of finding someone who's been exposed and treating them with a drug, which is how we do it with, with uh, syphilis or tuberculosis or with a vaccine, which is how we do it with measles, here the, the treatment is to get out of circulation. So they may themselves, they may themselves not get treatment depending on the severity of their disease. But the point is, is that we're limiting their ability to transmit the virus to other people. So with the end of shelter in place, this becomes, as shelter in place starts to wind down, this becomes kind of our first line of defense against uh, transmission. Mm, that's interesting, calling it uh, the first line of defense. Again, we're speaking on KCBS in depth to Dr. George Rutherford, who is a epidemiologist with UC San Francisco, helping to lead up an effort to train more contact tracers in California. So when it comes to the training that is taking place, what does it take to be a good contact tracer? And how do you train somebody? I understand that the course that you you, you mentioned, some of it's in person, some of it's going to be online. It's something like a 20-hour training course. What does it take to make somebody able to do this work. Right. So they have to be able to talk to people. They have to be not afraid to call people up and uh, and talk them through this. Uh, and I think in San Francisco, we've done a pretty good job. The mayor's been great about talking about it. And so people aren't, um, you know, people aren't surprised when the calls come more or less. Uh, so it's, you know, that's the, you know, that's the big thing is getting your foot in the door, talking to them, understand, having them understand what we're trying to do what's in it for them, right? No more transmission to family, no more transmission to friends. You know, you get a diagnosis, you're able to, um, uh, you're able to have your income supported while you're gone. Um, so that's, you know, that, that's the important part is to get them, get sort of past the first sentence and be able to talk to them, talk through all the, uh, the issues, what needs to happen uh, next. So the training is, First of all, understanding the biology of the disease and the epidemiology of the disease, and a lot of the social aspects of it brings up. You know, this is, as as I think we're all aware, we have haves and have-nots in our society, and this uh, this disease has, yet again, emphasized those divides. So that's an important thing for everybody to be really clear about. We also do role plays. We have uh, sample uh, scripts that people can uh, work from in smaller work groups. Uh, and then we'll look over people's shoulders as they're making calls. They'll look over our shoulders. We'll do one together, and then we'll um, we will uh, look over their shoulders while they make them. And at the end of twenty hours, they're actually you know quite competent uh, at doing this. I'm kind of curious, and and I don't want to co- this to come off as uh, a criticism or being impetuous in any way, but. Obviously, everybody is very eager to come out of this lockdown as quickly as possible. And obviously, we have known that this is a need for some time now. Why is this something that's coming off the ground right now? Was were, were there? Is, just help us understand that you know the difficulties in getting something this monumental up and running. Sure. Um, well, we've been doing it in San Francisco for four weeks. Just to give you my <laughs> first things. First things first. Uh, so this was recognized early on by the uh, Department of Public Health and Dr. Colfax and Dr. Aragon, and we, you know, we we with their help, we uh, and you know, as a joint effort, we pushed it down the runway and got it launched. And you know, we've been doing this now for four weeks and have a lot of the, the kinks knocked out of it. Coming f- forward, a lot of counties have been doing a little bit of this, but not a lot. They don't know where the workforce is coming from. The counties, all the county or most of the counties, not the little counties, but most of the big counties 
at people who do this for a living. They do it for STD control. They do it for tuberculosis control. They do it for immunization programs, the sort of standard public health programs, but there's just not very many of them. So in San Francisco, for instance, when this started, there were 10 people doing this, who were doing the case investigations and then trying to follow up on the contacts. We've added 140 people to that. So just to give you an idea of the numbers. And so this 10,000 people that the governor talks about, that's the first batch. Now, uh, the state has numbers that su would suggest that there are about 3,000 or so people doing this already from this first workforce. And I assume that they're being supplemented by uh, by lots of other people who are working inside of health departments. But this will bring another large group on top of that uh, uh, for people from other parts of civil service who can, uh, who, who can help them, who can get the jobs, you know, get the really, um, the more uh, time intensive jobs uh, done, like making all the phone calls, sending all the emails, doing the texts, making all that part happen. All right. Well, an important perspective, important words for people to keep in mind, and also uh, helpful insights on a lot of the work that is going on to help keep us safe and help us reopen. We have been speaking to Dr. George Rutherford. He's a professor of epidemiology at UC San Francisco, and again, helping to lead the training effort for contact tracers throughout the state. Dr. Rutherford, thank you so much. Of course. My pleasure. Thanks a million, Keith. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Be well. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.